Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. Is it time to throw all the bums out? We'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. Buy a class there. Get the latest class, Reading Andrew Jackson, for $70 off. Just use the coupon code JACKSON at checkout. That's good for August 2023 only, but of course, it's the best deal you're ever going to get. So make sure you pick it up now. 70 bucks off. It's a class that's really going to change your perspective on Andrew Jackson. He's an interesting character. There's a lot of things to like about Jackson, but a lot of things not to like about Jackson, too. It's why I included him in Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com. You can click on the support tab there. Throw a few pennies my way. That helps support the show. Go to Spotify for Podcasters. Become a member there. That helps support the show. And of course, painlessly, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Share it around on social media. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Comment on YouTube for the algorithm. Of course, if you're at YouTube, you can also click on the little super thanks button under the video. Throw a few pennies my way there, too. And again, send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. That keeps the show fresh. Well, let's talk about this idea of throwing the bums out. This is actually an article that appeared at American Thinker. It was sent my way by someone who sends a lot of emails and uh, have a conversation with through email pretty frequently. But um, this is an interesting article. It's a... It's an advocation of nullification. Now, that fits right in line with Think Locally, Act Locally. Now, as I talked about in the last show, or at least a couple of shows ago, I should say, with Rome, I said the United States is not going to fall apart anytime soon. Now, this article thinks otherwise. The United States is destined to come apart, fly apart at the seams anytime now. I don't think this is going to happen. I think the decline of the United States is going to be slow. Unless there, be, there is a major economic or military disaster, I don't think the United States is going to come apart quickly. It will happen. The United States is going to decay from the inside out more than anything else. And this is why you need to start thinking locally and acting locally. It is the way. right? It is the way you preserve these things that you have. It is the true conservative principle. It's why Southerners advocated it so long. It's why Southerners advocated federalism. It's why Americans for many years advocated federalism. And North and South, it's why they advocated nullification. Because it actually protected... The local, it was a hedge from the center. You think about nullification in 1832 with South Carolina. something I get into quite a lot in the reading Andrew Jackson class. And so I'm not going to steal my thunder there. You've got to go out and get that class. But South Carolina was using nullification as a way to block extreme centralization of power. 
unconstitutional government in their mind. And uh, it was uh, certainly effective. The tariff was reduced. Jackson threatened force. The United States government passes the force bill. And South Carolina nullifies that. So nullification works. This is an important thing to understand. Nullification works. It's always worked. It will always work because it is built into the DNA and the structure of the United States Constitution. We don't have four legs of government uh, with the bureaucracy. That's something else. The fourth leg of the United States government is the states. It always has been. It's a four-legged stool. You have the three branches of government, the legislative, judicial, and executive. And then you have the states. The disruptor, as I've said on the show, is the bureaucracy. That is the fifth leg. It's the fifth column. The bureaucracy in America is the fifth column. When you want to talk about cleaning up the swamp, you have to get rid of the bureaucracy. That is the fifth column and the most destructive part of the general government. Of course, it's created by the legislative branch because they just simply punt to the executive branch. So that's a major problem. But but the bureaucracy is what we're talking about when it comes to the swamp. We're not really talking about Congress. We're not talking about the executive branch, other than the bureaucracy that comes off the executive branch, right? The, the branch that has to execute the laws of Congress. That's what everybody complains about. It's the bureaucracy. Is that inevitable? Well, not necessarily. I mean, look, even as bad as Alexander Hamilton was and what he advocated, he had a Treasury Department with two employees. It's not inevitable. If the general government is small and functions the way it's supposed to, well, you don't have this kind of bureaucracy. It doesn't exist. The states might have it. And of course, there you're going to see corruption. But on a smaller level, a more localized level, so people can actually respond to it more effectively. There was just an article the other day about an HOA. I don't remember what state it was in, but was embezzling millions of dollars. They were all arrested. Why? Because the people in the HOA, you're close to that, right? Your HOA is, your, 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 your subdivisions now are the size of medieval towns. And think about how when you start talking about local control and local politics, you're looking at Great Britain, you're looking at England at that time. You think about the Doomsday Book, which was William the Conqueror. He has this survey taken, a census essentially. And you look at the data in that book, a large town was 2,000 people. A large town. That's the size of a subdivision. And you think about local autonomy and local government, a local sheriff, and all these local things that were going on. Well, this is the size and structure that people were used to. It's more, it's more humane. You have a much greater attachment to these things than you do when you start branching it out to 30, 40, 50,000 people per representative. That was the size of the general government in 1790. <laughs> 1790, 30,000 to 1. That was considered to be effective for a Republican government that had general purposes, not specific purposes. It needed to be lower for that. And in some states it is. You look at New England, you've got very small representative ratios. Whereas in California, it's way out of whack. And people have sent me emails about that before, how California used to be better before the Supreme Court stepped in. I agree and eliminated the old Senate there that had the counties represented in the Senate that could block some of the, some of the madness that was going on in California. This is the problem of extreme centralization. California could have just said, forget it. We're not going to follow this. What are you going to do about it? 
And what would the general government have done about it? Would they send in the troops? Would they send in the army to enforce this? I don't know. Probably not. Now, you would have been looking at, you know, as the general government operates on individuals, you would have had people sued. Uh, and the states, of course, you would have been suing the state at that point. The state could have invoked the 11th Amendment and said, we're not going to appear before, we're not just not going to appear before uh, anything. We're not going to come before a federal court. We're just not going to do it. We refuse to be sued on this. That's state sovereign immunity. There are ways for the states to do this. Okay, So all of this matters. So, and it, the Roman Empire fell apart, disintegrated from the inside out. The United States is going to do the exact same thing, which is why I advocate thinking locally and acting locally, because that is how, ultimately, you're going to have power in, this, in the future. And as this piece points out, it is the way forward. It always has been. And the piece is entitled Throw All the Bums Out by J.B. Shirk. I'm sure that's a pseudonym. He says, I don't think the federal government will exist in its current form much longer. I disagree. It's going to exist in this current form for a long time because of money. And that money creates power and the centralization creates power. It will exist. The issue is how much are people going to pay attention to it? That's the real question. Will it continue to have legitimacy like it has now long-term? I don't know. I think that's a real question. Legitimacy is the question, right? Legitimacy is the issue. He says the reason is simple. If Marxist globalists get their way, then sovereign U.S. powers will continue to be unlawfully delegated to the U.N. That's been happening for a long time. In fact, even in the what 1990s, you had the story of Michael New, you know, refusing to fight for the U.N. and how he faced, uh, you know, court martial for this. This has been going on for a while. Nothing new. And people that complain about this, it's, I mean, this has been going on since the 1820s. <laughs> People have been talking about this. That's why Jackson again is so is so important because a lot of the same complaints we have now were complaints in the 1820s. The WHO and other international monstrosities until some Obama type tyrant is ruling over all us all from Turtle Bay on a state or a stately castle outside Brussels. Again, a little bit hyperbole there, but these things have been happening. Delegating powers to a world government or these guys. It's been the dream for a long time, since the 1940s. If freedom-minded people su succeed in reining in the federal government and reimposing the Constitution's limited delegation of powers, then the monstrosity that is already with us will radically diminish or disappear. Again, I'm not so certain that's going to happen. There will be pushback from the center. They're going to try to figure out a way. We're seeing it all the time now. They'll try to figure out a way not to let this happen. But nullification does work. It's worked all the time. It's worked every single time because it's built into the structure of the system. There is the 10th Amendment. It's just an enforcement mechanism has always been elusive. I mean, this is what Calhoun talked about. It's the concurrent majority. There has to be some discussion of these things. Centralizers don't want it on the left and the right. That's an issue for them. It's a problem. But certainly, it could happen. Either the current beast lording, over it, uh, lording it over us will transform into something even more menacing, or it will be sapped of its bloodthirst for unconstitutional overreach and brought to heel. For what it's worth, my vote is for the Price is Right option. The whole DC menagerie should just be spayed and neutered. As we stand right now, the federal government functions as an extra-constitutional and largely illegitimate system that usurps the individual states' respective sovereignties 
infringes the American people's personal rights and betrays the spirit of our country's foundations and liberty. Well, I mean, all that's true. The funny thing here is the price is right reference. If you're not of a certain age, you won't get that. If you're a young person, you won't get it. Bob Barker, who was the host of The Price is Right, used to go on after at the end of every show. And if you were a kid or you know, grew up in the 80s um, or you watched The Price is Right in the 80s, into the 90s, uh, you had you had this, you know, Bar Barker. Don't forget to get your pet spayed or neutered, right? So, I mean, this was the... And I think that uh, Drew Carey still says this. I don't know. But this really began with Bob Barker. So that's a, that shows you this person. Now, I don't know what it is. It's in their 40s, probably. Maybe their 50s. That's about their age. Our union came into existence only because the former colonies were assured that they would maintain their freedom and independence. Had the Articles of Confederation or their successor, the U.S. Constitution, sought to extinguish the individual states' inherent sovereignties by replacing their discrete political powers with those of a single new nation, then no agreement to form a union would ever have been reached. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, this is certainly uh, the case. And there's a hyperlink to a Lou Rockwell piece from 2004 that, that talks about this. But no agreement would ever have been reached. This is 100% true. The Constitution, the ratification process, centered on, really, the loss of power at the states. And the Federalists, those who promoted the Constitution, the proponents of it, promised over and over again the original union, the, the structure, the status of the states of the original union would be maintained in the new union. In fact, when it was brought up that the central government would have some type of veto over state law, this is where John Rutledge said that's a no-go. That alone ought to damn the Constitution, is his, his exact words. There was never going to be a federal negative of state law. James Madison wanted it. Even some others like Pinckney of South Carolina thought it was a good idea. But it, that's not what won out. But see, this is what we have now with the Supreme Court. I just mentioned a Supreme Court case where you have state's voting system invalidated by the Supreme Court. Well, they should have just said, yeah, so what? We're going to do it anyways. The colonies did not fight a war for their independence from an empire only to squander, squander their victory and become part of another empire. Well, that's true. For the first 80 years or so. Then you get Abraham Lincoln. That's where everything shifts, right? 1868 really is the new America. It is the second American Revolution. It is the second year of independence. But it's the creation of an imperial structure, not a federal republic. The United States had a federal republic essentially from 1783 until 1861. Or you could say 1776 to 1861, or 1775 to 1861. You can go back to the American War for Independence. But we didn't get the Articles of Confederation formally ratified and implemented until about 1783, 1781 to 1783. So that's when we had a central authority that had some type of power. It was a federal republic, and it, main, it was maintained through the United States Constitution, and that was destroyed by the war. At that point, it was replaced by a centralized government and an imperial system with the Republicans at the head. So the piece continues quite the contrary. The individual states maintain a political structure 
on par with foreign nations such as France and Spain. It is only in these specifically enumerated powers delegated to the federal government that federal authority supersedes the state's own. It is only in the specifically enumerated powers delegated to the federal government that the federal authority supersedes the state's own. Now, why are these powers there? When you look at the structure of the Constitution, I talk about this in the Founding Fathers' Guide to the Constitution, but when you look at the structure of the Constitution, you have powers delegated to the center, and then the states in Article 1, Section 10 are prohibited the same powers. These are powers that were thought to be collectively better held, like foreign, foreign policy, meaning defense, and commerce. And that was it. The states did everything else. That's the real selling point of the Constitution in 1787 and 1788. It's James Wilson. It's Alexander Hamilton. It's James Madison. It's all these people. This is how they're selling it. Well, look, the general government has these powers. We should have a singular voice in foreign policy. It's too hard to have 13 voices. We should have a singular voice in trade policy. It's too hard to have 13 voices. Those are the two things that work better with one voice. Dealing with foreign entities. The rest of it, Massachusetts can be Massachusetts. Virginia can be Virginia. Georgia can be Georgia. Delaware can be Delaware. Even Rhode Island, which didn't ratify the Constitution until 1790, by the way. Even Rhode Island, which was considered an oddity, could be Rhode Island. That was the point. You could have differences in this federal republic that would be accepted because the center didn't have any control over these things. In other words, people in these states could be people of the states. They could have their own political culture. They could, have, it could reflect the people there and not another state. There wasn't any imperial structure to it where a state could dictate to another state what to do other than in the area of commerce and defense. That was it. That's how the Constitution was sold. And this is where nullification comes in. It's where the original Federal Republic, if we talk about making America great again, this is what we should be talking about. You would have a lot less conflict if we didn't have one-size-fits-all top-down government. The piece says the word delegated is important. I agree. The federal government's power does not spring from thin air, but rather is derived from specifically listed authorities delegated to it from the states and the people. The American people and the individual states are the origin of all legitimate power. And the federal government exists only so long as the people and the states continue to lend their own innate powers to breathe life to an otherwise powerless system. True. A delegated power can be rescinded. Who's doing the delegating? I've mentioned this before, right? That term delegated is important. Or granted. If you look at Article 1... It says, all legislative power herein granted. Well, who's doing the granting? The people of the states. If you're granting a power, if you're delegating a power, that delegation can be rescinded at any time. That's the argument. I think it's the strongest argument you have. Before the Civil War, the idea that an American was a citizen of the United States would have been as absurd as an American today being a citizen of the United Nations. Americans are citizens of the respective states, and the states belong to the Union. This is true. I mean, I think you did have some nationalists in the early federal period that did think of America. Hamilton's one of them. A lot of times it was people that weren't necessarily born in the United States. 
But you did have nationalists. I mean, look, Washington was Virginian through and through, but he did think of an American nation. And he wanted to create that kind of solidarity. He wanted a national university to do that. I talk about that in reading George Washington, which, great class at McClanahan Academy too. Because history and civics are no longer taught in school, the federal government has worked a self-serving linguistic voodoo that has allowed it to pretend that the birth of the United States was the birth of a brand new nation. In actuality, we are a federation of independent states that magically became a single nation before inexplicably, inexplicably becoming a borderless empire. Well, I don't know if history and civics are not taught. They're taught from a different perspective. <laughs> They're taught from an ahistorical perspective, oftentimes. And people walk out of these classes not really knowing anything. And again, it's because of a lack. It's, it's, it's a lack of discipline. It's not just the teachers. It's the students, too. They don't really want to learn much. Why? When you got Google, you got Twitter, you got Instagram, right? I mean, you don't need to learn history. You just get it there. So you just look it up. You don't need to know any of this stuff. You just look it up. Somebody else gets to know it. I don't, I don't have to know it. He says, if we were still abiding by the Constitution, then 99% of today's federal government would be chunked at the bottom of the Potomac. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the bureaucracy, right? The government still functions according to the Constitution in a lot of ways. And I've made this point before. And what percentage would be, would be unconstitutional is a real question. Is the United States military unconstitutional? No. But it does create a tremendous amount of bureaucracy. The empire is dangerous. But you look at the United States military, and this is where conservatives get away with big government because they can hide behind the shield that the military is constitutional. But did the founding generation want a standing army like we have today? Well, obviously not. It was something they never considered. A small professional class, maybe at West Point or the Naval Academy to have people prepared. A navy, they did advocate a navy. A navy was seen as vital for American interests. But a big mil a big army? No, that was uh, that was what tyrants had. You didn't have that. That would have been dangerous to liberty. But that is constitutional. I mean, the United States, but there's parts of it you could argue, ah, eh, maybe not. You have to hide them under certain things. Like, for example, NASA. NASA would potentially be unconstitutional if it wasn't for the fact it's hiding behind the military. Uh, you know, the Space Command, all this stuff. It's hiding behind the military. It's hiding behind that part of the Constitution that theoretically makes it constitutional. As James Madison wrote in the Federalist Papers, number 45, the powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. The former will be exercised principally on external objects as war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce, with which the last power of taxation will, for the most part, be connected. The powers reserved to the several states will extend to all the objects in which, which in the ordinary course of affairs, concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people, and the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. Again, this is how the Constitution was explicitly sold. James Wilson, in October of 1787, says the exact same thing at the State House Yard speech. This is what, this is how the proponents of the document said it was going to be used. We have commerce and defense. And taxation, we have foreign commerce, tariffs. 
They thought there would be some type of tariff, which would be a revenue-producing tariff, not a protective one, because that becomes welfare then. That becomes corporate welfare. Not a revenue-producing tariff, but, or I'm sorry, a, a, a protective tariff, but a revenue-producing tariff that you know, we raise some taxes that way. He says, in other words, the individual states of the American people delegated a small number of powers, there are only 18 enumerated legislative powers in Article 1, Section 8, to a jointly directed government that will provide for the state's common defenses, represent the states in negotiation with other nations, and regulate foreign commerce among the states. That's it. All of the powers, as the Ninth and Tenth Amendments make clear, remain with the individual states and the people. Look, this is how Tench Cox sold it in his American Citizen Essays. This is, this is how the Constitution was sold across the board. We have a federal republic, the states control the domestic concerns, and the center does these explicit things. Anything that goes beyond that would then be unconstitutional, not even part of the supremacy clause, you see. The plain meaning of the U.S. Constitution, the Founding Fathers' copious essays and personal correspondence, all attest to their intention to keep the federal government small, limited in authority, and differential to the states. Instead, we have today the largest, most expansive, most powerful central government that has ever existed on planet Earth. True. Nobody in the founding generation, even the big government guys, would recognize this big government we have today. It was This is beyond what they ever imagined the United States government would be. Now, the argument to that is, well, these people were 18th century men. They couldn't see past the 18th and 19th centuries. You see, this is why all of these things don't work any longer. Well, I mean, if that's the case, if we really believe that, as the, if the general public in the United States really believes that, well, then we need a new constitution. We need to have another convention. It's not going to happen, but that's what we would need. Because if you go by the one that was ratified in 1788, then we should still be following how that constitution was ratified, which would mean the United States government would be extremely curtailed in power. And you wouldn't have most of what happens in the U.S. government today. No detail of an American's life is too small for the federal government not to regulate. No nuclear confrontation is too risky or military alliance too great for D.C.'s permanent ruling class not to unilaterally undertake. That's more about policy than anything else as far as the foreign policy part of it. But, you know, the the, uh, the meddling by the general government and things that were considered to be state issues for a long time, that was... He didn't do that. Not until the 1860s. And even then thereafter, you know, you're still looking at time. It takes a little time for the United States government to really ramp this stuff up. But the seed is planted and sowed in the 1860s. We were going to see it. As I've said, if you, if you scratch a 2023 woke authoritarian, you're getting an 1860s New England radical Republican. It's the same thing. The federal government insists on controlling the rain puddles on our land, the political speech that we may voice, the health care we may receive, the appliances in our homes and the fruits of our labor. The Constitution invests none of these powers in the federal government. They represent illegitimate power grabs, yet the government has legalized its legitimacy anyways. Well, that's true. I mean, it's it's done whatever it wanted because there really hasn't ever been a check. 
the checks needed to be there, and the states provided that final check through nullification. The idea was simple. Divide the federal government into three branches that would compete against one another. Let the state legislatures control the U.S. Senate and let the people choose the representatives for the House. Instead, the branches conspired with one another to become bigger and more powerful. The 70th Amendment turned the Senate into a ruling aristocracy, and the imposition of political parties gave private corporations control over who would pretend to represent the people. In order to sidestep the Constitution's limitations completely, the federal government invented a fourth branch, the administrative state, that acts with the combined powers of the executive, legislative, and judicial branches while operating behind the reach of the people. In order to preserve these illegitimate powers, the federal government then invented an unaccountable intelligence community that spies on and bullies ordinary Americans. Now, again, that's not the fourth branch. That's the fifth branch of government. See, what this piece does miss is the states. Now, he, he mentions it, but that was really the fourth leg of the stool. They created the fifth column, which is the administrative state, or the bureaucracy is what he's talking about there. That's what the fifth column is in America. It's used to destabilize the entire thing. Over and over and over again. It creates the intelligence community. It's part of that fifth column. I mean, the Congress does, but it's part of that fifth column. Back in the 20th century, early 20th century, we had the Red Scare. This was the great fear. We'd have a fifth column. The communists created a fifth column, destabilized the United States. What do you think they've done? They've used the bureaucracy to do it. That's the real fifth column in America. It's quite simple, but that's what's happened. Within the Constitution's checks and balances, the people have their three principal powers to use against the federal government. Their vote, their free speech, and their Second Amendment right to defend themselves against tyranny. Well, that would be... I mean, uh, no one in the founding generation would say this is their Second Amendment right. They wouldn't call it that. I mean... Everyone would believe, the founding generation would say, you have a right to self-defense, a right to secure your liberties. It's not a Second Amendment right. It's what they would consult, call a natural right. Even in Washington, again, reading George Washington, great class, in his, uh, his will, last will and testament, talks about you know, passing down swords to his descendants, and those swords should stay sheathed unless they have to unsheath those swords to fight for their for their rights. It's not a Second Amendment issue. That's just a man issue <laughs> in many ways. Today, elections are not trusted. The federal government censors political speech and dissent. There is an ongoing effort to, to deprive Americans of their firearms. The federal government has stolen the people's power. The individual state governments brought off or, bought off or intimidated into submission long ago have largely remained quiet. It is as if someone told the states to play dead or and they complied. Well, why? Bought off is the important word. Bought off. Why do they comply? Because of space command. You say the wrong things, the federal government sends this large chunk of federal contract money to some other state. They complied because they want the cash. Why did Mike Rogers, who is chair of the House Armed Services Committee that ran through the naming commission. Why did Mike Rogers do that? It's not his constituents didn't want him to do it. Why did he do it? Well, because they get government contracts. That part of Alabama has a lot of federal dollars through the military. So you hold up a military spending bill over this, which he thought was a political minefield, 
For what? For what? In his mind. Let it go through, and you get all that money into your district, and of course that makes you look good when it comes time for re-election. He says, the remedy to all this nonsense has always been straightforward, nullification. In the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions arguing against the constitutionality of the Alien Sedition Acts, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison insisted that the states have a duty to reject acts of Congress not authorized by the Constitution's enumerated powers. Quote, where, where powers are assumed which have not been delegated, Jefferson wrote, nullification is the rightful remedy. Alexander Hamilton, a staunch supporter of centralized government, agreed and warned that should Congress exert authority beyond its constitutional powers, its actions are merely acts of usurpation and will deserve to be treated as such. 100% true. I mean, as I mentioned before, this is exactly how the founding generation across the board looked at this. It didn't matter if they were big government guys or not. They considered the states, even Hamilton, to be the fourth leg of government. Now, they would talk about the legitimate powers of government would be bigger for Hamilton than they would be for Jefferson. But it doesn't matter. They still consider the states an essential part of this government and that they should be respected, right? The states should be respected and maintained. He wraps up by saying, what we need is a movement of people who recognize that nullification is only possible but necessary. The problem is that Americans have been forced to choose between two private corporations posing as political parties that do not embrace a duty to protect Americans' freedom and liberty. Well, this is true. I mean, we, you know, all we have is Republicans and Democrats. It's not all we have. The real issue, though, is not focusing on the center so much, but on the state and local level. That's how you start affecting change. When the states actually stand up to the center and say, enough. We're not going to do this anymore. It's not up to individuals to try to resist this stuff. We're going to give you some backing. Well, that would matter. But the states haven't done that yet in most instances. Uh, that is perhaps the most telling symptom of our current problems. A union that was formed to protect the people's inalienable rights and liberties has no political party addressing those fundamental concerns on the national stage. Perhaps it is time to throw all the bums out so that we may begin representing ourselves. Again, that would be really messy. There's a reason why we have representative government, because direct democracy is very, very messy. So there's some things about this piece that are a little bit eh, but for the most part, uh, it's spot on. It's spot on. Now, throwing the bums out, replacing them with what? That's a good question. More bums? Again, think locally, act locally, would start ignoring the center. That's the whole key. You ignore the center and they lose all of their power. And that's not what they want. These people want power. They're in D.C. because they want power and they like to hear themselves talk. That's why they're there. So throwing them out is just going to get a whole bunch of new bums in there that are going to do the exact same thing. So it's, it's a vicious cycle if you do it that way. So nullification, I agree, has to be a step, but... Extreme federalism, decentralization, really taking the Sync Locally, Act Locally moniker to heart and doing what you can in the local community to try to serve as a hedge against the center is essential. All right. See you next time with the Ryan McClanahan Show. See you then.